0: Hello, and welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio show podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Henkel with Cheeky Scientist, and today we are interviewing Ryan Flaherty on careers as a patent agent. I've seen so many PhDs in our association get hired into patent agent roles. It's a great position. Uh, If you have a PhD, you'll definitely want to listen to this show. As always, if you want to learn more about our Cheeky Scientist Association, uh, which is a PhD-specific job search blueprint for PhDs who want to get hired in industry, as well as a PhD-only job referral network, the largest job referral network of its kind, go to phdsgethired.com. If you go to phdsgethired.com, you'll learn all about the Cheeky Scientist Association. Just make sure to enter your name and email address. If you want to have our podcast as well as our free articles delivered to your email inbox weekly, just go to CheekyScientist.com. You can also go to iTunes and subscribe directly to this podcast so that you receive these free podcasts weekly. So without further ado, we're going to jump in here with Ryan Flaherty on careers as a patent agent.
1: And with us, we have Ryan Flaherty. Uh, Dr. Ryan Flaherty is a registered patent agent with, uh, with his firm, uh, Price. Hanneveld, Hanneveld, am I saying that right? Yep, Price son- <clears> Hanneveld. <throat> so thanks, thanks again for being with us, Ryan. Uh, looking forward to having you here. Um, before Ryan joined uh, Price Hanneveld, <laughs> Ryan earned his BS in chemistry and, uh, uh, from Grand Valley State University, and both a PhD in chemistry and an MS in patent law from the University of Notre Dame school maybe you've heard of. As a PhD candidate, he conducted research using capillary electrophoresis with laser-induced fluorescence and mass spectrometry spectrometry, uh, detection. His research brought together aspects of chemistry, biology, and engineering He developed instrumentation for the advancement of analytical chemistry as it pertains to biological systems. So very similar background to to some of you that we have on right now. Uh, While at Notre Dame, uh, he published four peer-reviewed articles. Uh, Three of those articles describe novel technologies that are the subject of uh, patent applications makes sense additionally two of the developed technologies have attracted commercial interest and have resulted in licensing agreements well done uh, at, at Notre Dame is how do you say it Notre Dame or Notre Yeah, that's Dame. All I say, Notre Dame um mm-hmm.
2: perhaps some people say Notre Dame but i i would assume the over in France Notre Dame and over here we can Notre say Notre
1: okay yeah. Just fun to hear from the the horse's mouth, so to speak. At Notre Dame, Ryan was the inaugural chair of two committees, the Joint Analytical Sciences uh, Meeting and the Student-Selected Speaker Committee. Uh, Before before pursuing his graduate degrees, Ryan gained valuable laboratory experience during his internships with industrial companies Amway uh, in Michigan and Cayman Chemical Company in also in uh, Michigan and uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, his undergraduate research and internship experiences utilize uh, chromat- uh, chromatographic and electrophoretic separation techniques to develop methods for analyzing complex mixtures. A native of Metro Detroit, he is passionate about the automotive industry, and this passion has manifested itself in his work on a 1964 Mustang. Nice. And uh, uh, an LS1 engine transplant into a 1994 Firebird, and a fourth mile, one-fourth mile drag racing at Milan Dragway in Southeast Michigan. Very cool. Hey, I love when uh, you get to hear a little bit about the uh, the non-science, although I, I guess it's science, but the hobbies too. It's a good lesson for all of you who are on. Always include something that personalizes you, right? Something that that uh, shows a different side of you whether it's on your resume or LinkedIn profile or a bio for a webinar. So great to have you with us, Ryan. Thanks for taking the time to uh, be here and to uh, share your knowledge with everybody here. Happy to be here, thanks for having me. Okay, so the, the first question we always like to ask, it will come as no surprise to you or those of you listening is, how, uh, how did you transition? So what, what did the transition process look like? And before that even, why did you decide to transition? Why not just stay in academia if things were going so well and your work was leading to patents?
2: Sure. So it's kind of a long story. The abridged version is basically I've been interested in patent law for quite a while. I actually thought after college, I'd go to law school to become a patent attorney. But then I got into the lab doing undergrad research and absolutely loved it. So I wanted to go to grad school because I felt like I wanted to know more about chemistry in general. Um, And so as I'm working through that, I'm realizing that No, the lab probably isn't where I ultimately want to be. I got kind of fatigued for working on something for an extended period of time without necessarily making any progress towards answering a question or towards the ultimate goal. There was one time in grad school, I think I worked on something for six to eight months to come to find out that that whole time, one of the pieces of equipment was slowly failing. So that was demoralizing, um, (laughs) to say the least. And then I heard about the Masters of Science and Patent Law program that Notre Dame was offering. Unfortunately, it's no longer offered, but maybe it'll get uh, reinstated at some point later on down the road. I think there's a few other universities around the country that are doing things that are similar, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, so ultimately, it seemed like too good of an opportunity to pass up, had been interested for a while in patent law, was getting kind of fatigued of working in the lab, and then had the opportunity to... Get that extra credential to try to differentiate myself from the pack when looking for a job. And here I am.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Uh, thanks. Thanks. It's important to, I think, talk about the why, you know, what is that motivation? And you know, the the takeaway that I heard is you wanted to branch out a little bit in, instead of just doing the 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 experiments, you wanted to go a little bit beyond, you wanted to see it translate. And um and then, you know, having that experience with a faulty instrument can be uh, <laughs> tough years of work sometimes, right? Absolutely. So that makes sense. I'm guessing a lot of you are experiencing similar uh, feelings, reasons why, why you're pursuing an industry career. So I want to move from the why to the how. So you, you mentioned how you got interested in patent law, but how did you actually start to pursue it? What are some of the very first steps that you took? Sure. One
2: of the very first steps I took was to kind of start talking to people who are in the field, which you know this webinar is is great for that. That's one of the reasons I was more than happy to participate in it. It's a tough decision to uh, mm. try to transition out of what people will typically call the traditional career path. However, I would definitely say staying in academia is more of a non-traditional career path from a percentage standpoint. Mm. Um, there's just not that many professorships that are opening up for people and You know, a lot of people, I think, are in a similar situation that I am. So the first steps were finding out about the field a little bit more in depth and then um, pursuing that patent law degree, which, like I said, that's that's a pretty unique opportunity that I was able to take advantage of. But for the general population, I'd say if you're interested in it, especially if you're still in college or at a grad school or um, generally working at or near a university, try to reach out to some of the tech transfer people, start getting your toes wet a little bit in what patent law is, how it works, that kind of thing. Um, Because one of the the big questions is going to be, okay, are you going to like it? It's going to be something you've never done before. Um, So yeah, talking to people and then trying to find out more about it. The biggest hurdle to try to, overcome besides actually getting that first job in this field is being coming a registered patent agent or patent attorney. And that you do by studying and passing studying for and passing the patent office's patent bar, which is very difficult. Um most people fail it their first time. I I have no qualms about telling people that I did. I thought, you know, I'd had no problem with tests leading up till that And it's a pass fail that you need 70% on to pass and so more than half of the people last i checked um don't pass it and i missed passing it by four questions more than half you
1: know, fail the first more. time
2: yeah more than half is and this is, is
1: national the, or by state
2: national that's the other nice thing about being a patent agent is um once you pass the patent bar you've got that credential as long as you don't do something unethical that they take it away for it. and it's nationwide whereas patent attorneys they're able to practice before uh the patent office nationally as well but then to practice as an attorney in the individual states they have to pass those bars so mm. a little bit different process for the two
1: <clears throat> so so just to kind of recap you you started by learning more about uh what patent law was you started reaching out to people and talking to them of essentially setting up informational interviews networking uh, to learn more about it and then you went through the process and and you took the exam now where exactly can you break down the process more like did you have to take the exam first before you started applying to jobs or you know how how can somebody who says you know i want to get into patent law right now i want to take this exam one of the first steps
2: sure so you don't actually have to be you don't have to take the exam to get into this field it's one of the ways to help differentiate yourself though Mm -hmm. Uh, if you don't have the bar registration with the patent office you're called Usually one of two things, a technical specialist or a patent engineer, even if your degree is not in engineering, it's just what they call them. There might be some other um, titles that firms or companies call them, but those are the two most common. And so you can do everything. You can basically do the legwork, but then you're reporting to a patent agent or a patent attorney who signs off on the work because you're not registered to represent clients before the patent office. But that doesn't mean you can't be excuse me, the specialist um, that knows the technology and can kind of translate what the inventors have done into something that the um, patent law community, community can understand. So you, you can look for jobs, they're harder to come by doing that. Um, ultimately passing that patent bar shows a, a little bit of skin in the game because that's the biggest issue is most of the positions that you're gonna come across are looking for somewhere between two and five years of experience. Mm. However, the only way to get that experience is for someone to take that first chance on you. So it's a little bit of a catch-22 is they're looking for people to enter into the field, but they want them to basically already be trained and be up to speed. Um,
1: Which is no different than, I mean, for those of you listening, it's no different than a situation no no matter what industry position you want to get into essentially Um, but the difference here is that there seems to be a more recognized way to show an investment at least in time that you're serious about this career path right Um, how long would you say it took you to how much time investment did it take you to study for the patent bar exam
2: it was it was significant and the prep courses are not cheap Um, so that's that's another kind of activation energy the exam itself is expensive I don't remember the exact cost, and it may have gone up since I've, since I've taken it. I know some of the prep courses have increased in price since I took it. I want to say you're looking at somewhere anywhere from $500 to $2,000 $2, for a prep course. Uh, some of the, the one that I did was covered by the tuition for the Master's in Science program. And so that one, I think at the time, was about 1500 and I think it's up to 1800 for a student access code now. Um uh, nice thing with that is they have a bunch of online questions that you can do. So I would say you definitely need to spend intense studying time, probably two months. And that course that I took, I think they said anyone who does six to eight hundred or maybe it was eight hundred questions, practice questions, they haven't had anyone fail that did that. So the first time I took it, I definitely didn't do that uh the second time I took it I I wasn't joking around I I hadn't actually passed the patent bar when I came to this position um but I passed it about 6 months in and that's about how long it took me to study and not be neglecting my my time here at work too so
0: and
1: so your, so your official title is patent agent agent right so so to be clear if you don't take the exam, you're probably looking at more of entry-level jobs like te- technical specialist or patent engineer, like you said. Mm-hmm. And then you take the exam, you can get to patent agent. Now, for those of you listening, we have had – you're probably asking yourself, well, wait a second. We have had people on that have become a patent agent without taking that exam. You can do it. Like Brian said, you just have to – it might take longer, right? So you might start as a patent engineer and work your way up at a company it's because you don't need – you don't actually need to pass the exam to be an agent, do you? You
2: do. However, if you work as a patent examiner with the patent office, which is also a very good job, you're just on the other side of the table from from the process of where I am. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have the most respect for them. I just had an interview with one yesterday on um, an office action that we had gotten back from them. It's always really cordial. It doesn't have to be adversarial. It's not supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Some people approach it that way. Um, But if you've worked for the patent office, if I remember right, for five years, you can wave into the patent bar. Where you basically say, "Hey, I've been doing this for five years for you guys," and, and that seems to be their cutoff, where they say, "Yeah, you you know this well enough."
1: So if you're a pet, so you can work your way up to a patent examiner without taking the exam,
2: you can start as a patent examiner. So so the patent office there's the two sides of the table. Uh, I'm going to assume no one has a law degree that yes. that we're talking with. Um, the entry for my side of it without the patent bar would be technical specialist and patent engineer and and that's where it stops without the patent bar registration you can't be you can't set yourself out as a patent agent i'm trying to remember the exact um wording on the, the document that i've got but once you have that you can represent the clients you can you can talk directly to the examiners if you don't have the bar registration or the examiners aren't supposed to talk to you Um, You have to have a patent attorney or a patent agent in the room at the same time to discuss things. If you're on the other side of things, you don't need a patent bar registration to become a patent examiner. They trained you on the job. They have a couple of satellite offices. The two that I'm aware of are Detroit and Denver, in addition to their uh, one over in the Washington, D.C. area. I think it's in Alexandria, if I remember right. Okay. Um, And so once you've worked at the patent office, you can become a patent agent. Without the the law degree or without taking that patent bar exam, as long as you have that minimum um, work experience and you have to apply for that.
1: So as a patent examiner, you can become a patent agent with five years of experience.
2: Something like that. Yeah. I can't remember what the cutoff is. I think it's five years. They basically say, look, you you understand the law well enough. You've been knee deep in this for five years. Um, That's ultimately what the bar exam says is you're being held accountable for knowing what you can and cannot do.
1: And describe these uh, the sides of the table that you keep talking about, right? So you have the, the, patent, the, the patent engineer, patent agent, the team on one side, the patent examiner on the other. You mentioned the government for the patent examiner side. Can you explain what, what you mean when you're talking about sure. the sides of the table?
2: Sure. The examiners, you can think of them as kind of gatekeepers. They're the ones um, not necessarily standing in your way of getting a um, a patent on a technology that you've submitted an application for but they're the ones that scrutinize whether you're entitled to as much as you think you are. Mm. So ultimately uh, I think the best way to discuss this is kind of talking about how the whole process starts. And so if it's all right, I'll, I'll just kind of answer it that way. It'll be a Please. little bit of a lengthy answer, but um, so usually the first point of contact that we have on an innovation is we'll receive an invention disclosure from a client, whether that's a, solo inventor that has done this on their own or if they're working for a company. Um, so we get that invention disclosure and we usually encourage people to do a prior art search just to see if anyone has done anything similar or exactly the same out there so that we know kind of what we can start to carve out because that tells us where to focus the application's description on. And so you've got the invention disclosure, you do the search and those can be of uh, varying depths you know, we've got clients that just want us to look really quick to see if there's anything exactly like it out there. Um, there's ones that want us to spend a little bit more time looking at further, um, in addition to patentability, seeing what they're entitled to, seeing if there's anyone out there that can actively stop them. Are there any active patents that would prevent them from being able to practice? And so once you've done the search, you report back to the client, and say, hey, here's the search references. Based on what we found, here's what we believe uh, would be available. And if you'd like to proceed, please let us know. We'll hold off until we hear back from you, basically. Mm. And if they still want to pursue based on the protection that we um, think they'd be entitled to, then they will open up a file for us to prepare a patent application. You spend some time writing that, you file it, and then um, a period of time passes right now anywhere usually about 18 months or so is kind of the uh, waiting period for the patent office. Not that they're just sitting on it. It's just they have so many things to get through and it operates as a first in, first out kind of basis. So it just takes about 18 months to get to your turn in the queue. And then once the examiner picks it up, so then that's where we've got that two sides of the table. On our side of the table, we're representing the client. On the other side of the table... The patent examiner is looking at what we've submitted as our application, and then the very end of the application has what's called claims, and that's basically carving out what intellectual property we think we're entitled to for our client. Mm-hmm. And So usually you try to make that a butt right up next to where the references that you had available in your search are. Um, and then the examiner will do a search, they'll come back to you and say, hey, I see you think you're entitled to this amount of protection but I don't think you're entitled to that much. And here's the references to support that opinion. And then they send that document to you. And that's where you have perhaps a on-phone interview that I did, for example, yesterday that I mentioned earlier where you say, Hey, I see, I see what you're talking about. You know, these references are really good. Thank you for your scrutiny on it. Um, We'll definitely amend the claims. Here's kind of what I'm thinking we could do to amend the claims to distinguish over these prior art references. And you kind of have that, cordial back and forth of saying, you know, here's what I think we're entitled to. They say, oh, I see where you're coming from, but I think this would sure. sound a little better. Um, so you do that a couple of times. And then ultimately, the final goal is to have an issued patent application. So you can think of the patent examiner being on representing the government. Um, in no, it's perfect.
1: That. Well, let me just jump in real quick. So so with Bates on what you said, and that that's a great uh, great insight into kind of the day to day, and it can't. We can't get more practical than that. So, um, for those of you listening, hopefully that helps you understand what I um, mean. The the back and forth is the the different sides are, and the end goal is. Um, just to go back to what you said though, so a patent examiner can switch sides of the table eventually if they have lots of experience. So they can become a patent agent and go work for a company um, to yeah, represent absolutely. clients.
2: Okay, and that's what a lot of them uh, end up doing. Um, You know, it can be tough to get that two years of experience. I shouldn't say a lot of them, but I know ones who have made that transition. Okay. Just curious. Especially around the Washington, D.C. area. I think there's a lot of agents and attorneys in the D.C. area that were former examiners. We actually have one of the partners here as a former examiner.
1: Perfect. And... Uh, you know that would be a, a, another option. I always like to talk about all options here, but um, for the most part, if you want to go right into that patent agent position, you are going to take the the patent bar exam, and it's gonna it's gonna be a significant investment in terms of time. It sounds like it's very similar to taking the MCAT or the LSAT kind of kind of exam, right? Um, in terms of you're gonna be preparing for months, and you're gonna be paying to take the exam too. And then once you take this. Um, you probably, you know, you might not pass the first time. <laughs> you might have to take it again, and then once you do pass, um, you're able to uh, go into this position. So, what happens after you pass? You you get a passing certificate. What what are the next steps? Is that when you can start applying for jobs, or is there a more formal formal process you have to go through?
2: Yeah, you can start applying for jobs at that point, or you can apply before then even. I would definitely recommend if you're planning on pursuing it, <clears throat> putting on the resume or the submission document. Uh, whatever it ends up being, um, that you're actively pursuing the patent agent credential, and however you want to phrase that. Um, I think that's how I had it on my resume that, you know, actively pursuing patent bar registration, uh, tentative examination date of summer 2016, something mm. like that. And, you know, the patent agent exam, ultimately, that can't be taken away from you, like I said, unless you do something unethical that, that is against the rules and they decide to take that away from you. Um, what it does is it shows the uh, potential employers that you've got some skin in the game and that you've invested a significant amount of time and a decent chunk of money to try to take this exam, get this registration. And that'll help distinguish you from um, people who have not taken that exam.
1: even if you put the fact that you are going to take it or the the date you're going to take it. Um, Okay. So let's break down the process a little bit more. So then you, you submit your application or your submission form. And then what usually happens is it similar to other types of, of of transitions or, or um, uh, onboarding processes, or uh, I, I mean interviewing processes. Do you get a phone screen first and then you go for a site visit or what happened for you specifically after you passed the exam? And got hired.
2: Sure. Um, so I passed the exam after getting hired, but I had a unique experience with it as far as the application process. I had submitted several applications. I actually um, was a little bit, I don't know if brazen is the right term, but I was applying for even patent attorney jobs that had zero to two years of experience because I figured, hey, look, you're, you're looking for someone to be able to do this work, and I'm planning on taking the patent bar exam, so I'll apply. Not surprisingly, I never heard back from any of those. Um, <laughs> I did apply for a technical specialists, uh patent engineers and patent agent jobs, but I never actually heard back on anything that I had applied for. I applied to tech transfer offices at universities the One of the problems was I was trying to apply a little bit too soon. usually those job positions they're looking for someone they need they need them now they're mm-hmm. not looking for someone in twelve to eighteen months um kind of thing so that's that's the other tough part, you know. I was finishing grad school and uh, we had our son on the way. So <laughs> it was kind of like, you know, I, I need to find somewhere that I can at least get a paycheck. So mm. ultimately, I, I lucked out and I got contacted twice. Um, one was, was a firm that it was a little too early to. It ended up being another 12 to 18 months before I ended up actually graduating. So didn't get an offer from them. but. They did a phone screening first to ask some questions to see if it would be a good fit. And then they brought me in for an on-site interview. I thought the interview went reasonably well, but they had some concerns with um, commuting. I was going to be commuting from northern Indiana, where Notre Dame is, to Grand Rapids mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Um, and they saw, you know, with the winter coming up, that was, that was going good to be luck. Yeah. Yeah. They ultimately ended up doing that anyway for this position <sighs> that I because I finished a, a few months before my wife did. Um, she was getting her graduate degree at Notre Dame as well, but the, both of those positions, a, an attorney at the firm had come across my bio on the master's in patent law, uh, website and contacted me because of my ties to the Grand Rapids area. Cause that's, that's one of the things that goes into attrition for employees. If you're not close to your friends and family, it's, it's going to be tough to keep people around long-term.
1: So, um, well, what did, can I ask? Let's. I wonder you went to this interview. So what? So besides asking questions about friends and family and the commute, what was there any sort of hard hitting questions that they asked, or were there technical questions versus more of the, the soft skills, the transferable questions? Do do you, do do any stick out in your mind?
2: Sure. Yeah. The um, they definitely wanted to know kind of what my plans were. Why did you want to get into patent law? Um, and why the grand rapids area kind of thing um ultimately my view and i've been on the interviewing side of the table now several times we've we've brought i think a handful of people on since i started about two years ago so you know we're we're growing but the thing i'm always looking for if you're sitting and i I want people to to hear this too to if you're sitting on the other side of a table They've looked at your resume. They assume that you're going to be able to do the job. What I'm usually looking for is, are you going to be a good fit for our clients? Are you going to be a good fit for the culture that we're trying to maintain at the firm? Um, I'm going to be helping train you probably because we always ask the people that have started most recently, "Hey, how do you do this thing?" As they've been in your shoes most recently. Mm-hmm. So another question is, do you, you know? Do I want to spend significant amount of my free time at, at work helping this person out, kind of thing? And that's not from a, just a personality standpoint, but it's just, you know, recognize that if you're there, it's the interpersonal skills that are probably getting interviewed. Um, so when I was in those interviews, they did ask some of the hard-hitting questions of, you know, okay, well, why patent law? Have you had any exposure? Have you written any applications? Have you done any of this thing, these things? Um, and then those were a little bit more sparse. Some of the people hadn't even looked at the, the resume. They were just kind of scanning on through and um, actually one of the big reasons they hired me here, they told me after the fact was the fact that I had worked on cars. One of our biggest clients is one of the um, automotive manufacturers here in the
1: Okay. So wait, because this is all just incredible, perfectly aligned with everything that we teach in our program. So hopefully for those of you listening, you're, you're, you're getting the same takeaways that I am. So number one, you're going to get those behavioral questions that always start with why right, for a PhD, why do you want to get into patent law? Why do you want to work for us, right? All these questions are, you know, why do you want to leave academia, these kind of things. So you, you heard that from Ryan. Um, they're going to, they're, they're very likely not going to read your resume until they're sitting across from you in an interview. I mean, and now that you've been on the other side of the table, Ryan, right? They, they you It know, might be the day of or the week of, hey, we have some people coming in for an interview, like here's our resume. And you look at it when you're sitting across from them, at least most people do. I think that's,
0: really, really important to, to, to recognize. This takes us to the end of this Cheeky Scientist radio podcast episode that you have been listening to. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a review and let us know what you would like to hear more of. If you're interested in transitioning into industry, go to phdsgethired.com and enter your name and email address, and we will give you information about our PhD job search blueprint, specifically for PhDs who want to transition into industry, as well as our PhD-only 4,000-plus member private job referral network. Again, go to phdsgethired.com and enter your name and email address now. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.